Hello everyone, I'm Jonathan Little. I'm here today with another episode of Weekly Poker Hand. We are still at this final table at Stone's Gambling Hall playing a bounty tournament. The actual bounty size is incredibly irrelevant um, because once you make a deep run in a tournament, assuming the bounty started off as you know one-fifth of the buy-in, it just doesn't matter. Now sometimes the bounty will be half of a buy-in, at which case it should be accounted for, but for the most part, you're going to find that after the first few levels, the bounty doesn't matter all that much. I understand it is nice to get those bounties and put them in your pocket and go cash out. But usually at this point in the tournament, your goal is to win. So here we have a final table where the average stack is something like 15 big blinds. We are playing very shallow. And a lot of people think that there is not much play at this point, or you really can't do anything besides just look at your cards and go all in. But that is far from true. There's a lot of edge to be had if you play this stage of the tournament better than your opponents. Because even if you have a tiny edge, that edge is worth a lot of chips. I mean, for all we know, at this point, a, a starting stack, not sure what it was, but big mine is 12,000 chips. So a starting stack could very easily be something like 40,000 chips. So, you know, 12,000 is a fourth of a starting stack. If we, or a third of a starting stack, if we started the tournament, if it was a $100 tournament, a big blind is worth $33. So if you're winning more than, you know, something like five big blinds per hour, that's 150 bucks an hour you're making at this stage in the tournament, which is quite a lot. Anyway, action folds around to Tommy and the hijack with a 215,000 chip stack. Hopefully they'll show us the blinds. Uh, 16,000 big blinds. Sorry about that. He only has about 15 big blinds, and he elects to limp. This is an easy all-in, because when you limp, what's going to happen is your opponents are now going to get the call with plenty of hands that have equity against your fives. Like right here, notice if you just go all-in with your pocket fives, RC and the cutoff seat has to fold his king-jack. But now he's able to see a flop. I mean, he may even shove on you, which is what I would do here, assuming I thought Tommy was limping a decently wide range. I would just go all in with the king jack because then, again, Tommy's going to be in a bad spot. But um, RC does elect to just call. Fred on the button with a7 offsuit. <laughs> Maybe also an all in. <laughs> um, this is a bit of a weaker hand than king jack because king jack very often has uh, two big cards if one of the opponents is trapping with something like pocket tens. So I'm okay with that fold with a7. But even then, if you know your opponents like to limp, with all sorts of marginal hands, the idea of folding that, A7 could be a fine shove. So, so far, I would have just gone all in if I was any of those three players. Folds around to a guy named 11001. He folds 10-2 offsuit, which is fine. And then Sue, in the big blind, decides to check Ace-9. This is another spot where I would definitely be all in. So, it may seem a little bit aggressive to say that, you know, Ace-7 may not be an all in, but an Ace-9 easily is. And that's because you have two fewer players let yet to worry, or left two fewer players to worry about than the button did when you're in the big blind, right? Because now you don't have to worry about the small blind and big blind waking up with a hand, which will happen some portion of the time, especially when you're only playing 15 big blinds deep. That's a situation where if someone wakes up with ace jack, they're just calling you all in, right? So it's not like they're only calling with the top 10% of hands. I'm reading about um, this tournament over here. So it actually is a relatively big bounty. A $70 buy-in plus 100 bounty plus 30 rake. So um, the bounty was big, but like I said, even then, we're deep in the tournament. So getting that extra 100 bucks doesn't matter so much when a payout jump may be a few hundred dollars. All right. 
If I was Sue, I would have been all in. All right, let's see the flop. All these players would have won the pot if they just opened shoved, but none of them wanted it that bad. Flop comes ace, nine, four. Great for Sue. Sue checks. I think that's perfectly fine. This is a spot where, well, in a single raise pot, you can definitely count on one of the players, the preflop raiser or the other player to bet. In a limp pot, that's not going to happen quite as often because in a limp pot, no one really feels like they have the initiative. They don't think I can bet and pick up this pot or anything like that. Very often, they're going to just kind of be a little bit passive. That said, Tommy fires out 50K. He bets the size of the pot. It's not what I expected. Um, if you are going to bet in Tommy's shoes, you very often want to bet small because when you bet big, what happens is that forces your opponents to have a hand like a nine or an ace to continue, and they're just not going to fold a nine or an ace. So when they call you, you're drawing to two outs, and when they fold, it very often means you just had the best hand when they had a hand like King Jack, like we saw the King Jack immediately fold. So it's rather difficult to analyze these spots because I don't know Tommy's limping strategy and it's hard to even predict it. But if Tommy is limping with only marginal aces and worse, or hands like, you know, king nine or something like that, what's going to end up happening is when he bets big and gets called, he's going to be drawing nearly dead. And that is not what you want at all. You want to be in good shape whenever you bet and get called. So this is a spot where maybe it makes sense to bet big with a hand like Jack not, uh, Jack 10 of diamonds or Jack 8 of diamonds. That would make a lot of sense because then um, you're behind at the moment, obviously, no matter what, and you can get your opponents to fold out stuff like King Jack. But I don't think it makes much sense with a hand like Pocket Fives. So in this scenario, he does bet, and let's see what Sue does. Interestingly enough, I think given the shallow stacks, I think Sue should probably just call. Because whenever Sue raises, what's going to happen? Well, Tommy's only going to continue with an ace and better, right? Obviously now, Sue's probably thinking, why would Tommy blast it unless they had an ace? So there certainly is some merit in that. But if Tommy does have an ace, Sue's going to be able to stack Tommy by the river pretty much no matter what, right? Like imagine Tommy does have ace five. Maybe it goes check, check on the turn, but pot's going to be 165k or 156k, and Tommy has 165 behind, so then he can just jam the river and get called. Sue does raise, though, and I get the idea of why you would raise, because it's just so obvious, at least in my mind, that Tommy has a good hand. But when Tommy doesn't have a good hand, Tommy's going to get off the hook, you're not going to get paid, and that's very, very bad. You always want to be getting paid in this spot when you flop the nuts. And this is the nuts. You're not worried about getting outdrawn here. And because stacks are so shallow, notice, again, Tommy only has 165 left, you don't need to raise to get the money in. There's only one bet left, one pot size bet. And in this scenario, you need to be very confident and just, or very happy to just let your opponents keep blasting. So I'm trying to think in a spot where I would want to raise with two pairs. Say instead the flop was ace, 10, nine with two spades. Then it may make sense to raise with a hand like ace, nine, because... At that point, your opponent's going to have lots of equity with all his random draws, like, say, the two spade draws or even queen-jack type hands. And if your opponent does have an ace, they're obviously still just never folding. So that's a situation where it may make sense to raise. But when the board is incredibly dry, and ace-nine-four 4 is about as dry as it can be, you just don't need to raise. So 
Um, this is a fun hand. Preflop, I actually think every single player <laughs> with the pocket fives, the king jack, the ace seven, and the ace nine all should have just open shoved preflop. Instead, they took this very passive line, and Tommy, who had the first option to just jam, would have won this pot if he just open shoved. You know, maybe Sue decides to call for the six for the uh, for the eleven big blind stack. Or no, it was more than eleven big blinds. It was um fifteen big blinds. Probably not. If uh, Sue did call with ace-nine, they were flipping, so it's not like that's the end of the world. And um, it, it certainly didn't work out for Tommy this time because he limped preflop and then bet and ended up losing four big blinds in a spot where, in reality, he should have just won the two-and-a-half big blind pot. And um, for Sue, you know, it's, it's always tough to figure out if Sue did check call the flop, would Tommy ever continue betting the turn? A lot of people, if, if Sue reluctantly calls... Um, Tommy and people in Tommy's shoes will feel obligated to make another big bet because they think, okay, my opponent probably doesn't have an ace because they would have raised me. Therefore, they have worse than an ace. And if they have worse than an ace, I can bluff them. And if you're playing against someone who really reads into your betting line like that, then you definitely don't want to raise. Now, it's, it's a little bit silly to say that people always raise with an ace because obviously they don't. Um, do not get in your head that that's what people do. Um, however... A lot of people do think that way, and often the players who are limping with their fives because they don't want to get outdrawn, I'm sorry, because they don't want to shove and get called, and also they don't want to get all their money without a good hand, those people um, often are thinking in that manner. So it's a weird hand. This is not something you see at higher stakes games. Um, people often come to me and say, you know, people don't play like you show them playing in my games. They, they do a lot of things like this, and they say, how can you beat players who do limp with their fives instead of raising? Well, the answer is you just run them over and they let you realize equity. It is so detrimental for these fives here to let King Jack and Ace Nine see the flop when they both would have just folded preflop. So it makes the game easier when your opponents play a passive strategy or when they play lots of random hands. It does not make the game more difficult. Do not think that just because your opponents will show up with random hands that it makes your game tough. Sure, it's going to be more difficult to read them, but they have so much junk in their range to the point that it doesn't matter. So that's going to be it for today for Weekly Poker Hand. Thanks again for being here. If you have any questions or comments, please let me know on Twitter at Jonathan Little. Also, follow me on Instagram. I've been posting lots and lots of fun content there. You can follow me at jcardshark, J-C-A-R-D-S-H-A-R-K. Um, we just reached 10,000 followers there, so that was fun. And um, we always do giveaways, bonuses, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So make sure you're following me so that you get access to all of that. Thanks again. Good luck in your games. And I'll talk to you next week.